There are many issues that plague youth. The church acts as a safe haven. It provides a place where youth can come together to hear the Word of God. Upper Room Media presents to you this Youth Talk, delivered from Sydney, Australia. Um, <clears throat> this passage is um, obviously a very famous passage, and it makes for a good youth meeting or camp because you can divide the different sections of the armour. Um, but like, it's always nice to flesh that out and see what these different characteristics are. St. Jerome said that all these different, the breastplate and the helmet and the, the belt, the shoes, the preparation of the gospel, all these things together, what this armour of God is, is Christ himself. So he's asking us to put him on, and it's very clear, but it's still very valuable to kind of break that down and contemplate on what these individual things mean. So God willing, we'll talk about the helmet of salvation tonight, and God willing, the Holy Spirit will just give each and every one of us just a small message. Um, does anyone want to volunteer to read the passage? Ephesians 6. Micah, Micah, it's 100% here. 100%. 100%. Chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. It's, 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 I'm telling you, it's happening, bro. You locked eyes with me straight away. Yeah, you locked eyes with me. Don't make this romantic. Just read the passage. Okay, Ephesians six, verses eight to ten, ten to eighteen. Everyone is looking at you, bro. I got it out for you. Ten to eighteen, chapter six. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that may that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts and wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having ridden your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate and righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fury darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me. That I may, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am ambassador in the chains. That it, in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Beautiful. Thank you very much. So, it's obviously it's uh, Saint Paul is telling us very, very clearly we are in a war. We are in a fight. Any time that you're in a fight or a war, your your armor is extremely important. And the helmet is typically the thing that goes on last. You usually start with whatever variation of belt you have, and there'll be instead of a breastplate. Now in these modern days, there's probably some kind of Kevlar or vest, and then on top of that, you might have your helmet or whatever else it is. Um, does anyone here do, apart from the thief, because I know he'll say yes, anyone do any martial arts or self-defense or anything like that? Any of the ladies? So you have something that's called the knockout zone, which is basically 
your jaw or your chin and the temple because these are weak spots and if you get a good enough hit there essentially your brain will rattle which if it's done properly enough or consistently enough will knock you out it'll literally shut off your brain and you'll go to sleep so you got to protect your head that's like the first thing that they'll tell you any kind of self-defense you always got to cover up always going to cover your head you can't ride a bicycle or a motorbike or anything like that without the proper covering and obviously when it comes to military endeavors obviously they need the correct protection so the the helmet is very important um everyone knows like avengers infinity war when uh what's his name thanos says to what's like you should have gone for the head and he did the, the thing you should have gone for the head if you went for the head it's game over so likewise we're in a war we're in a battle we have an enemy that really really wants to hurt us really wants to hurt us jesus said he has not come except to steal to kill and destroy that's his goal it's to take us away from god to kill our spiritual life and to destroy us by ultimately us losing our salvation so this helmet of salvation is is very important and we have to protect the head the head the church fathers talk about how the head encapsulates all of our senses, most importantly, our eyes. And Jesus says, if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. So our eyes are very important. And our thoughts, there's a, there's a Greek father named Elder Thaddeus has a book called Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives. And I really highly recommend to, if you want to, if you're interested in that, to understand more about how sometimes that war comes down to the minute by minute thoughts that we have in our, in our day and the importance of the Jesus prayer and things like that. So we have to, protect our head um, it's very important and even like the idea of being in a war uh, Matthew Henry says some really beautiful things he says be strong therefore when he's talking about be strong in the Lord be strong for service strong for suffering strong for fighting let a soldier be ever so armed so well armed without if he had not within a good heart his armor would stand I can't read English will stand him in little stead no, uh, spiritual strength and courage are very necessary for our spiritual warfare. Be strong in the Lord, either in his cause or for the sake, for his sake, or rather in his strength. We have no sufficient spiritual strength of our own. Our natural courage is perfect cowardice. Our natural strength as perfect weakness. But all our sufficiency is in God. In his strength, we must go forth and go on. By the actings of faith, we must fetch in grace and help from heaven to enable us to do that which we of ourselves cannot do. In our Christian work and warfare, we should stir up ourselves to resist temptations in reliance upon God's all-sufficiency and the omnipotence of his might. And he finishes by saying, this armor is prepared for us, but we must put it on. That is, we must pray for grace, we must use the grace given us, and draw it out into act and exercise as there is occasion. So, St. Paul starts that up, this whole passage with, be strong in the Lord and put on his armor. So, this strength comes from God it's never going to be from us if we are relying on ourselves we will fall on our face every single time and the devil will win every single time so we need the strength of God we need his grace and this armor is not something that we fashion ourselves these are all of Christ's characteristics which is why Saint Jerome is saying you need, you're, you're putting on Christ himself so he's the one that has made and prepared this armor for us but as with anything in our spiritual life there is a need for synergy there's, we do our part and God does all the rest. So we need to put it on. We need to actively put this armor on and consider ourselves that we're in a war. What if I, if I don't consider myself, if I'm in the middle of um, the front lines of, of combat and I don't even think or anticipate or conduct myself as if I'm in a war, I'm more than likely going to be the first person who's killed or a casualty or whatever. So like, 
having that having that mindset. Um, I remember um, very very recently I was going through a bit of a rough patch and I was having a chat with Tad, and Tad was saying to me that he said like you and I you know we're soldiers all of us were soldiers and every now and then we wander off and we, we go in the wrong direction and it's not where we end up is not the wall that's not where the conflict is that's not where the, we're in the complete wrong place from where we're meant to be and he said we need to fight for the kingdom we need to take it by force and take the things that are promised to us by force so if I look at my life now and the situation that I'm in now am I in the war am I where I'm supposed to be fighting whether that's fighting the temptations fighting the battles within myself or fighting to build the kingdom of God and to do the things that he's called me to do. Am I actually in the conflict zone or am I somewhere else, not wearing my armor, not doing whatever, feeling like I'm at peace? A lot of, in orthodoxy, a lot of the church fathers will talk about how if we feel like it's easy, if we feel like it's peaceful and think nothing's going wrong and we're probably on the wrong track and we probably don't need any added resistance from the devil because he's probably happy with where we are. So if it feels like, if there doesn't feel, if I can't feel that resistance that I'm striving against, if I can't feel that I'm in this war and I need the grace of God, I have that sense of dependency on Him, chances are I'm probably not even where I'm supposed to be. I'm not even in the conflict zone, probably not wearing the armor that He's given me. So the armor is His, the victory is His. Um, I put Anthony C had a really big series on the armor of God like 10 years ago. And he had this one liner, which was that we fight from victory, not for victory. Like God has already won the battle on the cross and through his resurrection. He's defeated death. He's defeated the devil, defeated everything. It's just for us now to claim that. So the armor is his, the victory is his. But as with everything, we need, we need God's help with everything. So what is, the, what is the helmet of salvation? Why is St. Paul talking about salvation is the helmet? Um, when we think about salvation, we have to understand that our Lord Jesus Christ had a violent determination to go to the cross. That is why he came. If you read on the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, you see how, how motivated, how moved God was for his broken and lost creation that he would come himself and take on flesh and die on the cross so that he could redeem us by his blood and bring us back to him. He was so determined to do that. There's a really beautiful verse in uh, Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, It came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go to Jerusalem. So, our Lord Jesus Christ was so determined to go there, to go to the cross, to achieve that, that so that he could, when he was on the cross, he could say, it is finished. I did what I came to do to, to redeem my people, the lost sheep, that they were completely incapable of doing that themselves. This is why I came. So, and he, and he says that very clearly in the passage that we read every day in John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would, have, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So that's his ultimate desire. That where, we, where he is, we will be also. That's what he wants. He doesn't want anyone to perish in their sin. He doesn't want anyone to fall and get lost. He wants to save everyone. And even with Judas, Jesus tried everything. Tried everything. Was so patient with him. Lots of little reminders and warnings. And he kept going, kept going, kept going. And we know how the story ends. So even, even with Judas, Jesus tried so hard. He did everything possible 
to bring him and to warn him. So that, that's, his, that's his intention. If we know that that's how determined God was to save us, and that is that our salvation is something that is guaranteed for us if we claim it, that is worthy of being used as a helmet. That is worthy of being used as a protection. That is a game changer. If I know that all of his promises are true, and if I know that I have salvation, I remember back in uni, uh, which is a million years ago now, um, our focus group was really nice. We used to get people from different denominations, and there was a Protestant girl that used to come, and she had this one line that I found really interesting. She used to say, like, what's the worst that could happen? I'm gonna lose my salvation. And it's kind of, when you think about what she's saying, if I know that my salvation is guaranteed because of what Christ has done for me personally on the cross, then what else do I have to worry about? What could be of greater gravity than that of my salvation? So for, for Christians, it, we shouldn't, for that reason, St. Paul talks about so much about not grieving those that we've lost, not fearing death. All the martyrs in our church, they trample on death. Why? Because this is guaranteed. Salvation is guaranteed. So what do we have to be afraid of? What is it? Death itself is now no longer a problem, which St. Paul very famously said, oh, death, where is, where is your sting? When he's quoting that, where is your sting? There's nothing there for us to fear now because we have that salvation. So that makes it a worthy helmet to use. And now I can use that to protect all my senses, all my thoughts, and, and particularly my eyes. I think... Eyes is a very important thing. Like we need to ask ourselves. It's not just. It's not just the. Um, there's one aspect of it which is like kind of like you are where you eat. If I look at bad things, if I look at inappropriate things, if I look at corrupt things, that's going to affect me internally. It's going to affect my mind and my soul and my spiritual life. That that in and of itself, 100. percent But also, how do I see God in the situation that I'm in right now? How do I see God? Do I see Him as some distant, indifferent being that he really doesn't care about the problem that I have right now? Or do I see him as all the promises and all the characteristics and all the love that he has shown me? So my eyes are very important. My eyes are very, very important. If, I, if, if the devil can succeed in convincing us that God doesn't care, he doesn't hear your prayers, your situation is never going to change, this sin that you've been doing for 10, 15 years is never going to change. If he can convince us of that, then he's already chalked up for himself a really nice little win. So that's why the concept of despair in orthodoxy, losing hope, is so important. And why our eyes protecting the head is, is so important. St. Paul himself struggled with that. No one is going to be immune from that struggle. It says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 8, he's talking about what happened to him in Asia. And he said, we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we despaired even of life. That's St. Paul the apostle who's written more than half the New Testament and has done all this stuff for the kingdom of God is saying that he experienced moments in his mission, in his work for God, that he despaired of life. Like he's got no will to go on. So sometimes that recognizing, am I, am I in the war? And do I have the armor on? Sometimes it's, it's even lower than that. It's like, do I even want to keep fighting? I'm tired. I'm losing hope. I'm losing belief that things are going to change or that all of this is worth it or whatever and that's why St. Paul starts with be strong in the Lord be strong in his might don't do this on your own because even for us sometimes we don't have the will to continue we don't have the will to fight and the ultimate the ultimate end of that the, the far extreme on the spectrum of that is when we despair of, of 
wanting to live anymore, which is a terrible and tragic thing. And actually, one of the church fathers compares Judas and Peter and saying that and says that Judas was was uh, an unskilled warrior in the sense that he gave into despair. They both sinned. They both denied Christ. But one of them decided to take his own life and the other wept bitterly and repented and, and Christ came and restored him. So I think it's St. Fear from the Recluse. And he was saying, St. Seraphim, St. Seraphim. And he was saying, like, he's unskilled. He wasn't prepared for this attack, this little dart of despair. And it's there's a reason why St. Paul says dart instead of a rocket launcher, because darts are like the little, like in the forest that like hits you in the neck, right? And it's, it's got like a very potent poison and, and it will have a latent effect on you. And it's an insidious thing. You don't really see it happening, but it builds up over time, especially if you get hit with a whole bunch of them. So if I'm not prepared, if I don't have this on, if I'm not bolstered in the promises of God and understanding how desperate he was to redeem me and to save me, then then I can easily fall into despair. And I can easily sit there and say, why am I even fighting? Why should I stay here and, and fight? I'm going to go do something else away from the, away from the war zone. <clears throat> I think a really beautiful example of the eyes is also the two disciples that were walking with Christ after the resurrection, the road to Emmaus. And, and it says that, that it's really interesting because Jesus asks them, why are you guys so sad? What's going on? And they're like, are you the only guy in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's been happening? Are you serious? You don't know about the, all the stuff that's been happening? Obviously, Jesus knows. Why did, he, why did he ask? Bishop Paul had a really beautiful contemplation. He's saying that God will ask us because he wants to hear us talk to him and complain to him in prayer. He wants us to give him our version of events, how we see things, so he can give us the reality. Sometimes it really doesn't take much for us to lose hope and to have that broken heartedness about it, about a situation or about unanswered prayers or about even temptations, right? So if I tell Jesus, like, this is terrible, where are you? And it, they say to him, you know, there was this man and, you know, we, we, we thought, we thought he was the one. We thought he was the Messiah. And then we watched him be crucified. Like their, their hopes and their dreams were shattered. And then later, Jesus opens their eyes, it says, and he was revealed to them the breaking of bread. And, and the reality is that, you know, could it be possible that I think that God has abandoned me, but in reality, he's walking next to me like he was next to them on the road to Emmaus the whole time. And he's waiting for us to just complain, to tell him how we see things in prayer so that he can reveal the actual reality to us. So that's why it's so important to protect our eyes and how we see things. If, if, if like I said, if the, if the devil can convince us that God has left us or things aren't going to change or that there's no point continuing full stop, then, you know, that we're in a really desperate situation. So we need that, we need that protection. Um, I think one of the primary things that we should, we should bolster is the promise of God's love. If I can be assured of that, then I think I would be sweet. So there's, there's an Orthodox father named Lev Gillett, and he wrote an article called Love Without Limits. I really encourage you guys to read the full I'll just read you a little bit of it, and then I'll finish very soon, I promise. Um, so he's describing the way in which God loves us. He says, let me use an image. <clears throat> Sorry for my voice. Divine love is like atmospheric pressure that surrounds and weighs upon every creature. It besieges everyone, 
desires to conquer everyone. It seeks to force an opening, to find a pathway leading to the heart in order to fill the person entirely. The difference between sinner and saint is that the sinner closes his heart to love, whereas the saint opens it to that love. Yes, it is the very same love offered to both that attempts to fill both. The one rejects it, the other accepts it. There is no accept acceptance though without grace, and that grace is immeasurable. You, my child, I love differently from any other person. I love you with a love that is incomparable, unique. Your sins might well wound the love that I have for you. Nevertheless, they can never diminish that love. My child, at this very moment, you are the focus of boundless love within the created universe. I, your God and Lord, turn myself toward you. The divine being is in some way concentrated upon you, as he is on every other existing being, but as though you were the only focus of his attention. In that very thought, there is enough to enthrall and to overwhelm you. You are loved. Repeat this promise to yourself and nourish yourself with it. Receive my declaration of love with a humble and radiant confidence. If you do, your heart will sing for joy. So I know it's very long, but it's just a really nice description of this atmospheric, all-permeating love that even though it covers the whole cosmos and all of the universe, it's seeking us individually. And he's, he's just seeking an opening just to fill us with that love. And if, if God loves me that much, then that's really good news because that means... Just like the Samaritan woman, I don't have to labor in the heat of the day in secret to try and get this love and validation from a well that is never going to do that job. It's never going to do that job. And it's tiring. And that's a burden that I've been carrying for a long time. This is good news because the, the creator of the whole universe, even though he has the whole universe, like this, this Orthodox father is saying that he is, I, I'm the only focus of his attention. And he's seeking to fill me with, with his love, with that same determination that he went to the cross with. So these are the promises that I need to wrap myself in and use as that helmet when the devil will try and tell me different things and, and sell me these different stories about what's actually happening in my life. Um, and it's just that that's very good. So we need to repeat that to ourselves. We need to contemplate on that. We need to... We need to, um, like Tad was saying to me, take with force, the kingdom of heaven is taken by violence, take with force these promises and, and realize that I'm loved, that I'm seen by God, that if I struggle and I resist temptation, that that's, that's actually worth it. If I'm laboring for the kingdom of God in whatever capacity it may be, that that's actually worth it, that he hears my prayers, that no matter how many times I've fallen or whatever I've done, if my repentance is genuine, it will always be met with his mercy will always be met with the same love that we see in the prodigal son story. It means that he does work all things together for my good, even when I have absolutely no way of seeing that end outcome. It means that he will make everything beautiful in its time, as it says in Ecclesiastes 3. And it means that even if I don't get the answer to my prayer, I don't get the miracle that I've been wanting for, I don't get the relief of the suffering or the disease or whatever it is that I have, that, like St. Paul said in, in Romans 8, the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that should be revealed in us. So it's the same thing that that young lady was saying, what's the worst that can happen? Am I going to lose my salvation? Am I going to be... When I go to heaven, there will be no more tears, there'll be no more suffering, there'll be no more disease, there'll be no, no more of all of that. So what do I have? What do I have to be afraid of? So it's really important that the devil should find me wearing my armor. 
He should find me on the battlefield ready. He should find me keeping that armor polished and well looked after so there's no gap that he can shoot these little darts in. And he should find me busy with the kingdom of God. I remember, um, is anyone here like defense force or police or corrective services by any chance? Anyone? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very interesting thing. So when you when you finish whatever your training is, irrespective of if you're ADF or you whatever, so you'll have an attestation, which is where you take your oath or your affirmation to carry out your your duty, to carry out your services. So back in the day as the queen, now you'd be taking your oath to the king. Or if you're not religious, then you'd also you do an affirmation. So if you do an oath, they'll actually issue you with a little Bible and you hold on to it and you swear to God, in front of God, that you will carry out these duties as per your training. You will discharge these duties faithfully until you die, basically. And it's a really big thing. And it's actually, it'll always take place on like a big asphalt rectangle, which is called the parade ground, which is symbolic of every single serviceman and woman that has lost their lives or have given their lives in the course of their duty or that they've just passed away or whatever it may be. So you'll actually take that oath on that ground where everyone else before you has taken that exact same oath. And it's interesting because St. Paul uses that analogy a lot. And he says in Timothy that we are soldiers of Christ. And it's, it's all of us, that we, all, we have all taken an oath because every time, every time someone is baptized, they are entering that covenant. They have died with Christ and they have raised with him and they received the Holy Spirit. They are a Christian. They carry the name of Christian. They have taken that oath. They have taken that oath to God. So that, that, is, that is the reality. We are all in war. We are all enlisted in his army. We have all taken that oath. And we need to carry out that duty. And, and naturally, because our nature is weak, because we have an enemy that wants to destroy us, because we live in a fallen world, we're going to have moments where we don't even want to keep fighting. So we need to refresh ourselves in his might, in his power. He's the only one. It's his armor. It's his victory. He's the one that gives us that sufficiency to keep going every day. And sometimes hour by hour, minute by minute. Sometimes for some of us, that will be the reality. That every minute feels like I'm at war. So that's pretty much uh, what I wanted to share. Um, does anyone have anything they want to add or any questions or anything? This talk was brought to you by Upper Room Media. We hope that this talk has, through the grace of God, touched your heart. And we pray that it will not only inform you, but will also transform you and your life with Christ.